Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Thursday. How can it be Thursday again? I don't know, but it is. And how can it be September the 15th, halfway through the month? I'm telling you, it's going to be Christmas before we know it. Um, but it's Thursday, September the 15th, 2022, 7 a.m. here in beautiful Spotswood, Virginia. It's looking like it's going to be a gorgeous day right here at the end of summer. I think summer comes to an end. I don't know. What is it? The 22nd that is the first day of fall. I don't know, but I am ready for it. And I hope that you are too, because it'll be here before we know it. Um, again, I'd, I'd like to welcome you this morning, whether you are here with us live right now, or maybe you'll be here sometime later this morning or today or this evening or whenever. I'm happy that we have this time together. We are making our way through the gospel according to John. Yesterday, we finished chapter 9 and Jesus' interaction with the man that he had healed, the man that had been born blind. And we saw that his healing really came in full um, in our passage yesterday. Now, let me be clear on this. His healing of his eyes actually took place back at the beginning of chapter 9 in verses 6 and 7 when Jesus spit on the ground, made mud, um, put the mud in the man's eyes and said, go to Siloam and wash. The man went and washed and his eyes were healed. However, it was when Jesus revealed himself to this man, telling him who he really was, giving him the opportunity to believe in the Son of Man. That's when his eyes really became open. And of course, he placed his faith in Christ, and he did so with consequences. Um, we know that this man was thrown out of the synagogue. And again, I cannot stress to y'all. This is not the same as having to leave one church and just find another church. The synagogue was the center of Jewish life, okay? And this man was ejected from the synagogue. In fact, a lot of times um, this meant being ejected from your family. This meant that you lost everything. But you see, he gained everything in Christ. He counted the cost. We're called to do the same, you know. And it is my hope and my prayer that you either know Jesus or will come to know him very, very soon. And he is indeed worth it. Now, where we pick up is in chapter 10 of John, and there's not really much of a transition here. Remember, um, chapters and verses, while extremely helpful, okay, and I'm not saying that I don't want them in God's word. They are extremely helpful to us. They're not inspired. Okay, it wasn't like um, John said, all right, I'm done with chapter 9 after 41 verses. Let's go ahead and start up with chapter 10. It's not how this worked, okay? Uh, we really don't have much of a transition at all. At the end of chapter 9, you find out some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. In other words, they have rejected Christ. And so they have sealed their guilt and they're rejecting him. And it's with this idea that we pick up today as Jesus teaches us what true Christianity is. And as we come to the next of his I am statements, let's pray and we'll dig in. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have provided for us. And we ask that you would guide us in it. Help us to understand your word, to see its beauty, to see its simplicity, to see its simple calling. And that calling is to trust, 
to love, to follow, to obey Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, without your Holy Spirit, we won't see. So please empower us, guide us by your spirit now. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, Jesus just picks right up, okay, after saying this to the Pharisees. Verse 10, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. All right, time out. Pause right there. Um, if you go to Old Providence, you know that it wasn't too terribly long ago, just a matter of a few weeks ago, that I preached on John chapter 10, um, both on the section that we're in today and then following this. There's two I am statements here. The first is, is what's going to come up in just a moment there. But when I preached on this in I don't know if it'll, it probably won't show up here, but I put up on the uh, the screen in the sanctuary there, the sheep pasture right behind us. Uh, you can kind of sort of see that. There's the fence line, right? I don't know if you can see that. I don't see any sheep out there at the moment. Um, oh, I see some over there. But anyway, a lot of times when we think about sheep pens and, and, and gates and pastures and all this kind of stuff, we think about what I just showed you, you know, rolling green hills. And by the way, this is a beautiful spot to live, y'all. We love it. Every day we look out to see what the sheep are doing. And when it's lambing season, it is it's it's hilarious. It's precious to just watch them out there. But we love where we live. They, I don't know how many sheep they have. Like I said, when I preached on this, it's hard to count. You get sleepy, but um, nevertheless, maybe 50, maybe 75 sheep. I don't know. But my point is this. When we think about pastures, when we think about fencing, you know, this is a very nice wooden fence out here. Um, but there's all kinds of fencing that comes to our mind. You might think of barbed wire fencing. You might think of uh, metal fencing, right? Wire fencing. You might think about nice wooden fencing. Y'all... What I just showed you, if you've ever seen a picture of Israel, that's not what it looks like, okay? The green pastures, um, for instance, it's, it's sporadic growth, that sort of thing. But nevertheless, especially with wooden fencing, well, we know they didn't have wire technology then, so obviously they weren't doing wire fencing. Certainly there was no electric fencing. And wood fencing, y'all, there was not an abundance of wood lying around. So much so, in fact, that remember when they built the temple, they had to get cedars from Lebanon and that sort of thing, right? There wasn't a lot of wood lying around, but there was a lot of stones lying around. So when you hear about sheep, then you need to think about, number one, the fact that sheep were free roaming animals. They had a shepherd that led them to places to graze, right? Because this idea of somebody owning a bunch of land and there being a fence all the way around, that is not how how raising livestock worked at that time. It's still not how it works at this time in Israel and Palestine today. That's still not how it works. There wasn't a bunch of wood lying around, especially wood lying around to build a fence. So instead, when it talks about the sheep pen, we're talking about a fairly small structure that could have been constructed fairly quickly out of the abundance of rocks that were lying around. Okay, so that's what we ought to have in mind, a relatively small enclosure here. Now, 
what's all this language really about? Why, why is Jesus even using this metaphor of sheep? He's using it because it was the most abundant form of livestock that, that, that was around. Okay, sheep and goats. People had those far more than any other type of livestock. And so Jesus begins by laying down this paradigm that only the genuine sheep are those who enter by the gate. Now, that ought to point us to something here. He's talking about the flock of God, those who genuinely belong to God. They have to enter by the gate. Anything that enters by any means other than the gate, not a genuine sheep, instead is a thief and a robber. But at the same time, the one who does enter by the gate, he's talking about the gatekeeper here, is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him. This is verse three. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought all out all of his own, he goes on ahead of him and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used his figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Y'all, again, Jesus is establishing this metaphor. He is simply pointing to the nature of sheep and their shepherd. And it's true. Sheep haven't changed in 2,000 years in that aspect. When we go to the fence, you know, jokingly, I said when I preached this, you know, if I go to the fence and if I try to have a civilized conversation with the sheep, they don't listen to me. Right. Sometimes they'll run away. Sometimes they're indifferent. But when their shepherd comes out, when their owner comes out and calls them, boy, they take off running. It, that's one of our favorite things to watch. We'll look out the window. We'll say, oh, they must be calling the sheep. And sure enough, we'll see uh, the owner on the far other end of the field. And then the sheep in a line will just take off. They couldn't care less about us. Why? Because they don't know us because we're not responsible for their livelihood. They probably go running to the owner because the owner is the one that feeds them, okay? That's, that's the paradigm that is present there. But it rings true to this. In this metaphor that Jesus is using, he's talking about those that belong and those that do not, those who are genuine and those who are not. Now, clearly, um, verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, verse 7, so in other words, because they didn't understand it, therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. Y'all, this whole metaphor that Jesus is using, we, there's, there's plenty more that we can talk about with this stuff, but, but it's needless, right? We, we don't need to go in depth into all this stuff again. What Jesus is simply laying down with them Okay, this whole metaphor that he has established all comes down to this. There is no salvation except for that which is in Jesus Christ. Period. The end. 
you are saved by one name and one name only, and that name is Jesus Christ. The means of salvation, in other words, and we're talking about real salvation here, not what the world offers, not what people try to package up and sell as salvation. We're talking about the eventuality that every one of us faces, that we are created in God's image. As a result, though we are finite, though we have mortal bodies, our soul is immortal. It is infinite, right? In, in terms of the fact that our soul will never cease to exist. We're created in God's image. God is eternal. Our souls are eternal. And therefore, they will have an eternal destination. When we shed this body, when this mortal body dies, our souls have to go somewhere. They will either go to heaven and be with God, where one day after Jesus comes back, we will receive a glorified body. Or they will go to hell and suffer for all eternity. That, you know, there is no in-between. The world will try to tell you all sorts of stuff. False teachers will try to teach you things like annihilationism. You know, the idea that if you go to heaven, you live forever. But if you go to hell, you're annihilated because if something catches on fire, then eventually it burns up, which is a ludicrous, ludicrous principle that is found precisely zero places in God's word. In fact, you find the opposite. When God's word speaks of hell, when Jesus talks about hell, it is eternal. And so because we face this eventuality that we will either go to glory in heaven to be with God, or we will go to destruction in hell and be separated from God, the question is one of salvation. Are you saved? Will you be saved for eternity or will you not be? If you will be, it will only be through Jesus Christ. Did you catch the, the either or language here? Y'all, there's a lot of gray areas in life. The older I get, the more I see, right? But this is not one of them. Jesus is very, very clear. Verse eight, again, all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. And loop back, what's he talking about? Loop back to the beginning. He says, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Right. But just prior to that, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Jesus says, everybody who came before me. Now let me be clear about something. He's not talking about the prophets. You know, he's not saying that that Moses and Abraham. No, 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 no. Moses and Abraham all pointed forward to him. OK, he is talking about anyone that offered any means of salvation that did not include him. Now, if that's the case with all those who came before them, it's the same case with all those who come after him. I had a conversation with somebody recently because y'all know I've, I've, I've been focusing on, on a certain idea um, for the last week or so here. And it's something that's run through all of my teaching to you over the years at this point. Now, I think this is daily devotional 395 or something like that. Um, but somebody said, boy, you were really on it this morning about, uh, you know, the false teachers things and the churches that aren't really churches and the pastors who aren't really pastors. You know, that's because the text that we were dealing with led to that. OK, I, I don't like to have hobby horses that I just fall back on all the time. But this is one ex other example of, of, of why I've been talking about that. 
Y'all, did you hear what Jesus said about these people that offer salvation by any other means than him? Did you hear what Jesus said about people that say, well, you don't really have to believe in Jesus to be saved? Did you hear what Jesus said about people that said, oh, yeah, it's great to believe in Jesus, but, you know, um, as long as you believe in God or, you know, you can be a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or a Buddhist or a Jew or fill in the blank and you can still be saved, right? Did you hear what Jesus just said about people who teach these sorts of things? They are robbers. They are thieves. And what are they trying to steal? Whether they mean to or not, they're trying to steal your soul. They are teaching you the gospel of hell. It's the theology of the pit, y'all that Jesus isn't really necessary for salvation. Jesus leaves no room for that sort of teaching. That's why I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. If you're in a church that teaches this, you're not in a church at all. You're in a synagogue of Satan. If you have a person that stands behind a piece of furniture that looks like a pulpit on Sunday morning and pretends to be a pastor and yet doesn't believe that Jesus is the only means of salvation, that teaches something contrary to this. And let me tell you something. If you're in a mainline church, it's almost certain that you have someone who is like that. You don't have a pastor at all. You have a thief. You have a robber. And it breaks my heart to say this. All right. But y'all, it needs to be said this is our Lord that we're talking about. This is, this is Jesus Christ who laid down his life willingly for you. Don't buy this garbage that people are selling. Call it what it is. It's thievery of the highest degree. People try to steal your stuff, and it would make us upset if somebody tried to steal your car or your wallet or fill in the blank. What about the people that are trying to steal your soul? Listen to what Jesus says here. Anybody that says that salvation can come by anything, anyone other than him and him alone. Anybody that says that salvation is Jesus plus fill in the blank even. Thievery, robbery, disaster, destruction. Again, that's the theology of hell. It's the gospel of the pit. Listen to what Jesus says here. As we go along, and where we pick up Monday is going to be with the next of the I am statements. Of course, we just heard this one. I am the gate for the sheep. That means no one enters into the kingdom but by Jesus and Jesus alone. In John 14, he's going to be even more explicit. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You can't mess that up. You can deny it. But you can't come to any other conclusion than what it very clearly teaches. The same is true here. The question is, what will we do with it? Number one, we must believe. And number two, we must share. If Jesus is right here, and he is, then that means that the world around you is offering all sorts of ways to be saved that end in death. We have the truth. And we have the responsibility, yes, but also the privilege to share it. 
So let me encourage you to do so. Let me pray for us. Our Father, what a blessing it is to have these teachings of Christ that are so clear, so abundantly clear. Please, as we think about what's going on in the world around us, we see the disaster and the destruction from outside of the church. And while it pains us, we can't help uh, but say, well, fools do foolish things because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Yet there is an insidious side to what is going on in our nation where places that claim to be churches are teaching a false gospel, or they have ministers that are too afraid to preach what they really think, and so they don't ever get around to even talking about the gospel. They never proclaim Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, bring revival. By your Holy Spirit, get hold of us so that we would proclaim the truth that is so clear. Jesus leaves us room for nothing else. Father, let us confess him and let us share the truth, the wonderful, glorious, good news of Jesus Christ. And I pray it all in his name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and then Monday morning at 7 a.m. I say that there is a possibility that I won't be here Monday morning. I don't know yet. There's a few things that have to click into place, but I may be headed south. Um, on 81 early, early, early that Monday morning. And if that's the case, uh, I will post something Sunday night and let you know. But thank you for being here. I see uh, Becky, good morning. And there's Monica and the other Becky and Rose. And then I see Alice and Elizabeth and Jack. Hey, there's Patsy and, and Jack. Good morning to you both. Welcome. And then there's Christine. Amen. Indeed. To God be the glory. I hope that y'all have a wonderful weekend. We'll be here Sunday morning at 10 and Lord willing, Monday morning at 7. Have a great weekend.